1: I should start by saying that I think the world is not as crazy as I once feared. <laughs> oh, no. I, know that, I know that's controversial <laughs> to start a podcast with in this day and age, but, but, but follow me. Here's where I'm okay, going. If you've right. been listening for a while, especially, especially if you listened last week, we mentioned Paul found... Okay, we've been talking about cheap... I got a little excited, okay? You did. That, that's fair. That happens. We've been talking about cheap Ford Fiesta STs, and Paul found a $7,500 <laughs> one, and I had my mind warped.
0: So <laughs> we, My mind was warped, seriously. and I... I Failed to notice a few so, things. So,
1: so we dug in. We actually dug into this car, and we discovered that it was well-photographed and actually a salvage title car being sold.
0: Yeah, so but it rats at
1: least. Yeah, it's fine. And the pictures were good, but that's why it was $7,500. So for those of you who, who almost, like me, almost lost your grip on the reality of cars because you can't believe those cars are that disposable, they're not quite that disposable yet. <laughs> but this proves two things. One, shop carefully. And two, yes. Paul and I are not perfect, nor will we be. No, we've never claimed so, that. you know what? I, I promise you, when you hear us say something boneheaded, you're right. We're sometimes boneheads, but we're doing our best to be honest with you guys.
0: Yeah, We have yeah. a really
1: cool podcast coming right now. So thanks again for being with us.
0: Excellence, not perfection, right? That's what we're always striving for is excellence, It's, not it's, too, it's two podcasts a week. We try really <laughs> hard, but sometimes my mouth runs away a little bit. That happens. <laughs> well, as Todd said, we have a very special guest joining us, Nick Grio from Grill's Garage. He and I got to talking, gosh, about a month ago when I was in Washington, and I'm so thrilled to have you, Nick. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
0: A lot of questions on social media, which we'll get to, but Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled Mm -hmm. that you're actually going to help us debate Garrett. He's a CPA, Certified Public Accountant in San Diego, and he writes to us. So, Garrett, you are the lucky guy. You've got three people debating a car for you this podcast. Which means we'll either find you answers or you'll walk away (laughs) even
1: more confused. We're unsure at this time, yeah.
0: But to start with, I'm so glad, Nick, that you're here because you have been uh, very supportive of us as a show, Mm -hmm. and I've used Griot's for... 18 years, kind of, somewhere in there? Hang on, I should stop you real quick. It's been a while. Because you are the car
1: care fanatic of the two of us. I feel (laughs) really, really happy to drive things like my Lotus and go, oh, it's dirty. Okay, I got to drive it again. That's who I am compared to you. But I will say, for those of you that are going you guys are having a sponsor on. Let me be clear, for those of you who don't understand, Paul's used these products forever. Yeah, And yeah. we actually pursued Grios to want to have them support our TV show. Yeah, absolutely. Because we actually do use these products. Now, I am the newbie. Probably 10 years in, I'm still the newbie using these products. Paul keeps going, <laughs> well, well, there's this. I'm like, it does what now? I had no idea. So- Paul now has family in Tacoma, and so he wandered into the Griot's uh, factory one day and just kind of went, oh, it's a candy store, and now we have you guys with us on on the TV show, which is awesome. Thank you, Nick. And I'm glad that you guys... Honestly, I'll probably just sit here. This is almost a watch podcast
0: for me. I I won't have (laughs) much to say. You guys will have tons, which is great. Well, Nick had me over to their flagship store. It's in Tacoma, and thankfully, Nick, you, you took me around into the back of the shop where you've got projects. You've got... You know, the place where you photograph people's cars and put them on the cover. And then you and I got to talking about your background. Mm -hmm. And I just thought you could relate that conversation. It's something that I wanted to have our audience hear, your education and your real estate and how that kind of wound you to working for the company.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I appreciate your guys' support as well. And my story probably isn't too uh, unique in that I was born to a car fanatic and uh, I didn't really have much choice. (laughs) <laughs> uh, about loving cars because I was always surrounded by them. I think my dad tells a story that when I was, you know, in the uh, in the hospital, he was in the waiting room with a Porsche Panorama, and he took a picture of it over my head. <laughs> You're I was kidding
1: me. me! The and, disease strikes uh, early. Grew up
2: with, yeah, yeah, with a lunatic for a father uh, who I you know, now have the pleasure of working with. You know, I've I've worked for the company in in a lot of capacities uh, since I was really young. My first job was in the uh, warehouse, and then. Once I figured out uh, what my market value was for all the detailing skills my dad taught me, I started a <laughs> detailing company, which I carried through uh, high school and college. And huh. Was quite an enterprise, and then uh, I I went to school to be a doctor. Uh, I didn't know that mistake, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I ended up you know majoring in economics, which led me to. Uh, you know, my career uh, in commercial real estate. And I, I came home, I went to school in Atlanta at uh, Emory University, and it's a great school. I learned a lot about myself and, and got a good degree, which, again, allowed me to be gainfully employed in 2009. Oh, um, yeah. It was unique. Yeah, uh, for all my buddies that graduated at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Going into the finance industry. Wow. I, I came into my dad's office, and he straight up told me that he didn't want me to work for him. Really? Because he Wanted me to do what I loved, and at that point, I'm, you know, 22 years old. There, are kind of limited options with regards to again, just it's not a thriving economy. But I just started picking up the phone, and after working with uh, my dad to finish our facility here in Tacoma, Washington, I, I met a broker who brought me into the commercial real estate world. I worked in that industry for five years. I absolutely loved it. It was a fascinating time to be in Seattle, where, again, we're still experiencing some rampant growth uh, yeah. due to Amazon and a lot of the tech companies. Yeah, no so kidding. It's a great uh, learning experience.
0: <laughs> Along but, with some traffic, I, uh, I experience every time I'm there. There's a bit of traffic.
2: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, I've, I've since moved away from Seattle uh, because of said traffic. I uh, brought my. <laughs> My wife down to uh, Tacoma, and she was not happy about that at first, but she's she's coming around. But, All right, cool. Um, you know, at the at the end of my real estate career, for anybody who's familiar with that industry, like a real estate broker or even a residential, you've got multiple things going on at once. And in commercial, you're dealing with other people's businesses. You need to mm-hmm. find them a place to do, their, you know, what's what's best for their company. So you're learning a lot about multiple different companies at once. And uh, one of the projects I Ended my career working on was looking for a new facility for Greer's Garage, ah. and in kind of going through the exercise with my own dad and, and learning about what the needs were at the time, I realized, man, I already know this. I, I know what this company needs. I, mm. I, you know, I was the resident car guy at my real estate office. People would pull me down in the parking garage, and you know, I, I had to wear a suit every day and I'd be on my stomach looking at somebody's undercarriage. Like it just
0: didn't (laughs) back up. Nice.
2: You know, I came back into my dad and I said, you know, I, I know that I love this and this is what I want to do. I want to work for you at Grizz And it was Hmm. very, he was extremely happy to hear that. But you know, what he told me to do is he's like, okay, well, that's great. We are, we need a, you know, national presence. So get out of my office and you're going to drive a truck (laughs) around the country and start an events program. So that's how I came back into Greel's Garage. I just, I just had, you know, truly, uh, kind of epiphany that all of my energy that I was splitting amongst five other people's businesses, I could really channel and devote to something that I loved and cared for. Hmm. Um, that is cars and and helping people take care of them well i've just
0: yeah i've just seen such a family presence whenever i'm there you know just talking to you and talking to everybody there it just seems like such a family oriented kind of mindset you had mentioned your dad wanted to be a race car driver too
2: yeah so that was uh he when he graduated from school he went to boulder in the early 80s and uh he swears he is you know straight edge guy. And I, and I do <laughs> you know, understand that about him. I, I can see that happening. But, but then you're thinking Boulder a, in the
1: uh, 80s. I understand where you're at. Right, I right. get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> two of my siblings have also graduated from there, so I've heard some stories. But uh-huh. he worked at a museum in Boulder, Colorado, and he kind of always was working around cars and he went back to la and ended up working at jim russell's uh racing school there Hmm. he was an instructor and a mechanic
1: oh that's cool
2: this this was kind of the time where you know they it wasn't a very popular thing so they'd fix the cars up and the mechanics knew which ones were the fastest ones and they take part in all sorts of shenanigans, but it never really led to a professional opportunity. And so he actually, during that time, he actually met my mom and managed her dressmaking business. Uh, That's a
1: shift. Okay.
2: Probably imagine wasn't exactly fulfilling to him.
1: Can't imagine why. <laughs> That's very strange. Right. Me, yeah. So strange.
2: Yeah. And, uh, he, he pretty much started the company by, um, I, you know, he, he spoke with my grandfather who ran a catalog company as well. And, hmm. uh, hmm. He encouraged uh, my dad to start a company that wasn't regionally dependent. And the catalog at the Uh, time, before the Internet was around, was a a great avenue to that.
1: Sure, sure, sure.
2: So he uh, would spend time going up to Monterey uh, for the uh, kind of Rolex Mm -hmm, Historics mm -hmm. and Pebble Beach Peak and started just by putting flyers on guys' uh, windshields. And, you know, would you like a catalog with all these unique tools and kind of garage organizational and lifestyle accessories and just it was enough demand from that type of prospecting that he started a business. So hmm. 29 years later, so wow, uh, it's pretty wild.
1: That's fascinating. That's to hear the Monterey connection, Nick, because I don't know if you know this, but the whole reason that Paul uses the products is from going up to that show and seeing and asking what those guys with those crazy cars were using. And he went, well, if they're using it on this, I'm going to use it on that, my stuff.
0: Honestly, that was my mindset because I my yeah. first Pebble Beach that. Monterey show was in 99. I was in Art Center in school until 98 yeah, and then finally had an opportunity to go in 99. And then I was just wandering around the paddock going – Wow! Look at these cars. Okay, mm-hmm. so what are you using? How do you yeah, yeah, yeah. make it look like that? I, I, I honestly, I was asking and just thinking. There's all kinds of stuff at car parts stores. I, of course. How do yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I saw the logo on the side of pick, you know trailers and pickup trucks and that kind of thing, and and then just came home and did my own research, and that's that was my kind of how I got into it. Interestingly, so that's amazing that that was where he started.
2: We come quite a long way for sure.
0: So, so you said your dad told you to get out
1: of the office and go drive a truck. So you, so you were driving yeah. the event truck around. To, and and I think you guys have got you've got done a new heavy duty event truck, haven't you?
2: We had always been supportive. I mean, Monterey was a natural event um, for us. It, it kind of combines the, you know, concours element and then the racing element. But there's a ton. I mean, there's more car shows in the U.S. than any person could possibly imagine. It's agreed. Yeah, yeah. insane from our perspective that's where the most you know enthusiastic people are Mm. going um you know racetrack is a natural environment but not everybody has a race car a car show can be a place for people with similar interests uh to congregate so whether it's a hot rod show or a bmw or porsche show and they are always in need of money because it's not easy to rent a huge venue that can accommodate a ton of cars uh whether it be a fairground or a golf course. And so they seek support in the form of vendors. Sure. Yeah. We had kind of always understood that, but we really hadn't had a very well organized approach to it. And so when I came back to the company, that was the opportunity. We were Mm, uh. uh, growing at a rate that necessitated a presence to be, you know, felt nationally. So, you know, Paul, you were mentioning the family aspect. One of our longest tenured employees, who's literally done every position in the building, <laughs> uh, in the company. At one point in time, he just celebrated his 22nd anniversary with the company. Oh, wow! My God, um,
0: that's cool. He
2: and I were tasked with forming this events program. So we hmm. had four months to get everything up and running, and by June, we were driving uh, our brand new truck and trailer to Colorado for the first show hmm. of our inaugural events program and that was four years ago and since then we've continued to grow and uh we started off organized and we've become more and more organized and that's allowed us to invest in you know what was a dodge dually in a 30-foot trailer is now a full semi-truck and race trailer that wow uh, so cool foot setup so (laughs) it's it's a massive jump but, you know, it just validates really everything that, that we started doing and mm-hmm. just shows that that's where I still believe the the greatest customers are met. That's our – it really is an opportunity to look at somebody's particular car, help them fix a problem, mm. um, and just shake somebody's hand and, and, and help them because – there are plenty of people that just want to make their car look nice, and then there are plenty of people that are willing to go way off the deep end and spend, <laughs> you know, 72 hours uh, working on their car. So you have to be able to talk to everybody. Sure, um, yeah. And,
1: you just described me uh, versus it, Paul, it, by the way. I just thought <laughs> I'd clarify that. that yeah, was, yeah, yeah, and,
2: and we, we have customers that are all over that map. Uh, yeah. They they you know, our best customers tend to be towards tall then, Yeah, uh, I understand. You know, <laughs>
0: sure. we, and the cars prove it. We the, make yeah. products
2: huh. that, are, that are easy enough for everybody to get good results with. Well, so, yes, so, thankfully. Um,
0: uh, yeah. Nick, something that really struck me is when I had the behind-the-scenes tour and you took me through was the shop back there. It's not just car care products, you guys have mechanics and you're tearing into cars and you're restoring them or upgrading them or rebuilding them. You're tearing everything apart. I mean, there were a few cars I was astounded to see back there, but just the builds alone and not just to build show cars, but just to understand cars and how they work and what product would matter you know, to somebody doing this. And that's what I, really struck me. I was, like I said, pretty astounded to see that. I think that's a bit rare from the kind of products your company does and produces to actually doing builds.
2: Yeah. And so again, kind of that my dad's background as a mechanic and race car driver, he's always had an affinity for, you know, doing every aspect of of the car. Obviously there's some things that, you know, it's better to pay somebody to do something, uh, like paint comes to mind, um, (laughs) like a really high end (laughs) engine tune, something like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, as the facility that we're currently in has provided us the space to have a full service restoration shop. Mm-hmm. And we develop products based upon our experiences with these cars. And it's pretty much every car that has a clear coat or a paint system that is meant to look good and deep and shiny, we work on, you know, and, and, and can accept our products. So, our taste isn't really exclusive to one, you know, particular make or model. I mean, we have, all oh, when you're here, we've got a, you know, pink Fiat Jolly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we have, you know, old Formula One cars that we put back together as well. So we really run the gamut of materials um, and just problems that we're attacking uh, with regards to whether it be rust or, you know, oxidized paint, faded rubber, things that, you know, you may not be able to find parts for these old cars and people around us may have these old cars and say, you know, I've got this same problem. How do you Mm -hmm. address it? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, we've done that. You know, we've we've fixed it this way. Right. Right. Um, And if we can find a a chemical solution, we're going to make it and put it out to market. Um, If we can find a tool and then we'll we'll also uh, bring it to market. So that's that's really where a lot of it starts is on our own cars. And the restoration shop, it's it's you know we're we're making and restoring cars that we like. And it's not just high end stuff. It's mm. stuff that we want to drive.
0: Yeah, the, the drool was forming, I, I have to admit. And uh, Nick graciously let me sit in one particular car that I was astounded by. And then, of course, there were the Formula One cars and just the projects. I, I was, it was candy land, let's put it that way.
1: Well, I'm glad you drive them, too. I'm glad they're not just yeah. showpieces. That's, that's a huge thing we talk about on the show all the time is that you can have a great car that you love and you make nice, but you've got to take it out and drive it.
2: Yeah, I, today I, I rode to work in, uh, in a 1964 Cobra that is raw aluminum. Yeah, it's about to get repainted, but, you know, most people wouldn't take that car on the streets, and we're taking it. It's not even done. Um, <laughs> and we cruised to work. You know, the things, my hair was pretty windswept, and I didn't need any coffee this morning. But <laughs> For sure, um, yeah. But, but when you get sun in Washington State, you take advantage of it, and uh, the cars come out, for sure.
1: And this is proof um, of your car. Yeah, it,
2: it's always been about driving that That's why I think it's such a natural connection with you guys. I mean, you have to be able to enjoy the car uh, we you can get too deep into the detailing wormhole where if you if your car doesn't have a scratch, that also means it probably doesn't leave its parking spot hmm. and yeah. Yeah,
0: um, I obsess over the so scratches, it, but I, I have to balance that and temper that with get out there and drive it. Yes, you also have me standing behind you going, well, I'm going to take my car for a drive yes,
2: while you polish true. that. And, and I say that, and it's a double-edged sword, right? Yeah, because if you're sure. preparing your car for a show, you want it to be scratch-free and mm-hmm. present as well as possible. Right. So you need to be able to get there. But at the same time, you know, the car doesn't make you happy when it's, you're not smelling gas or you're not hearing it or not driving down the road. I think there's a balance there. For
0: sure. There's a car, that green E46 BMW that you were you share with your dad and I think everybody else. It's got the M3 engine in it, I think. Is that your daily or is that just like a shared car? And you were telling me about that as a build car and I was really intrigued by that.
2: Oh, so that um, that's a pretty – it's actually an E30 uh, 318. It's a 1988
1: 318,
2: which was the lowliest mm-hmm. uh, the econ model of yeah. that Um era you know just it came stock with a 1.8 liter uh engine wasn't very powerful but you could put 600,000 miles on it in fact our old <laughs> uh, curator had one that had nearly 500,000 miles on it and he wow. he'd never rebuilt the motor wow so, but this one has pretty much all e30 m3 guts and we just you know trade this car around it's hmm. you know the s14 motor that's in it is about uh just under 200 horsepower which is a significant jump over the 1.8 mm-hmm. but it's got it's totally built up with suspension wider wheels and tires and it it just is a demon it screams but uh you can get yourself in trouble really <laughs> quick with that motor because it's not meant for you know commuting it's meant to be thrown around so that generally is what happens. But it's a car that is reliable, <laughs> and we work on it a lot. We all know you know, how to get around those old BMWs. So we, uh, we get to share that one, and really that motor needs to be driven. Um, so it's one of the cars that gets uh, driven quite a bit. Nick, nice. that's awesome.
1: Well, we should move on to our car debate. We should all
0: see if we can help Garrett, who's writing to us from San Diego. He's a CPA on San Diego, as I mentioned. And, uh, Garrett, you've got three people deciding for you. His first car was an 05 Jeep Wrangler, which he had in San Diego, and he built this up to be a rock crawler and daily driver. And then he moved to Chicago. By the way, I like the idea of a rock crawler and daily driver because
1: those things really don't go together. <laughs> you know, just that's, that's just tire noise. You know Exactly. And, and the
0: traffic stopped in front of me, so I'll just crawl over it. I mean, that's kind of a little thing exactly. that makes any sense. But anyway, yeah. All right, so he moved to Chicago and then realized it would be stolen instantly. So he sold that and picked up an 07 Jeep Liberty as one does to handle the winter and i guess the, the car that won't be looked at it won't be stolen yeah. no, don't no nobody's nobody's <laughs> lusting after your liberty this is true yeah your insurance probably drops so you're fine yeah but then he and his wife moved back to San Diego in 2015, picked up a new Forerunner for his wife, an 09 Audi A3 for him. And then, of course, he had to get the Rock Crawler again, yes. so he got a 99 Jeep Cherokee. That's the toy. That's the Rock Crawler. That's sticking around, and so is the Forerunner. luckily. Well, yeah. He got this A3 because he likes the hot hatch thing. He wanted good gas mileage. He's got a 28-mile drive to work, but he still wanted something fun to drive. And also, his brother had this Audi connection. His brother used to work for Audi and mm-hmm. had this Audi parts thing. And because apparently the A3 had been unreliable in his year of ownership, he replaced, what, the water pump, cam cover sealant, oil pan at only 50,000 miles. Yeah. And so he's thinking, all right, is this thing going to last me? And, and the hookup went away. That's yeah. the other thing. It, that, it, it's the, the double-edged
1: sword there. It's, it's the reality of what is this going to cost me next, followed by now I can't get this stuff cheap. So the A3 must go. <laughs> and Garrett is 6'4 and 280, he tells us, and his wife is one. so their kids are going to be giants. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, they, they have to figure out the kid reality of a car that can handle kids and then also can take them as big people. This is not the, the five-foot-tall family sliding the seats forward. So he would like to get something, since they just had a baby girl. Congratulations. They would like to have four doors and be able to fit a rear-facing child seat in the back. Right. And they are large people. We understand the tall- tallness, we get it. So we got to solve that as well. He's like the A3 except it clearly needs to be out here the uh, the Paul limit of budget here is 20 grand. 20 He'd like grand. to spend more like 17.
0: All right, 20. And huh? uh,
1: he, he's hoping to be on the back end of depreciation if possible.
0: Well, I'm going to give Nick the same leeway, 20 grand. Yes. Oh, I used it too. You know, I I figured this is what happens with the Paul limit. You know, yeah. if you suggest a price and then there's a bigger number just past that in the sentence, <laughs> guess which number I'm going to be using. Yeah. All right, so Garrett loves the Focus ST, and he would get that car right now if it weren't a manual because of the traffic. And then, of course, the Cherokee Rock Crawler's a manual, too, so he's thinking, all right. Yeah. Uh, what if the Audi breaks down? It would probably be going away. And he's looking at large cars and has named the Dodge Charger, named the Cadillac ATS and CTS, mm-hmm. even though he's even not sure the Cadillac has enough backseat space. The ATS is, does not have a very big backseat. I will take that point. Yeah, the legroom isn't great. He's also liking the WRX hatch, but he's saying they're crazy expensive around him in that area. They're crazy expensive. This
1: is why I recommend the the Saab 92X, the Sabaru. because yeah. everybody's chasing and searching for the
0: WRX and nobody Thinks to do the sob. he says he likes that cross track. Subaru cross track too, but no, might don't. be too slow. <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, here's
1: here's the thing. Sub, Subaru <laughs> selling as fast as they can make them, and they're perfectly fine. I've driven one. I've driven one, and whether they are fine, they are not
0: an enthusiast car. No, we're not saying that. But he needs something, and he's also saying, <laughs> I'm bummed I never got a two door sports car before he had a kid. Mm-hmm. So he's suggesting his recommendation is to anybody without a family yet get a two-seat sports car.
1: Yes, but see, hang on, hang but on, Gary. you are the antithesis H- hang, hang of that. On, hang on, Gary. You've Garrett.
0: disproven, which I love. This
1: is the thing, man. I, I get it. And, and I, look, if you have more than one child, that this gets harder. I have one child. Our son is eight. He's he's fairly tall for his age. But the truth is, somehow inexplicably, by the way, I did not set out to do this. My wife has that great Cayenne that she loves. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. And yeah, that yeah. is our family car. And I call that our family car because... Being that there are three of us, if three of us have to go anywhere, we can only take the Cayenne because Rhymes I now have wound up with a summer car in the Lotus Elise and a winter car in the Mini Cooper with no back seat. The back Tiny seat's been removed. British two-seaters. I own two two-seat cars, <laughs> and I am a father. Now, I'm not saying this is smart, but I am saying to you. You don't have to you don't have to walk away from two seat two doors just because you became a parent. What you have to figure out is how do we make this car work in our life. Now, A I have a tolerant wife, but B, you have not only the forerunner, but you also have this other Cherokee here. If you're in a bind, you have It will get you to work. You have a series of cars that can solve all the life stuff. So I I'll be honest, I didn't break your rule, but I do have to kind of challenge you, Garrett, and just say, what car would you like that you think you can't get? Because I say to you, you're a dad, fine, still buy the fun car. There's a way to make that work in your life. I'm the crazy one, I get it, but
0: I'm putting it out there. Garrett's also mentioning he would love to have something American to work on himself, if possible, Mm -hmm. but he's not married to the idea. Well, what's happened is that Garrett opened the hood of a modern car and went, Where do I put a hand to fix anything? It's just this big plastic sheet of, I don't know how to work on that. Oh, look, there's the dipstick, (laughs) and we're done. Okay, so we're diving into choices here. And before we get to that, Nick, uh, back to you. I'm curious hearing Garrett's story here and hearing what he wants. And then it's sort of like, you know, in sales, there's that question behind the question. People say this, but then there's that reason <laughs> that actually kind of meets their needs. I'm wondering if this is that kind of case. On the other hand, he does say, I need a larger car. So there mm-hmm. is that. We can't just suggest M235Is and be done with it. Or yeah, I, it, I get that. This
1: is not the family that needs a Lotus Elise. <laughs> this is clearly what's going on. Right.
0: Here. We can't just throw caution to the wind. But Nick, I'm curious to know where you went, what you're thinking for Garrett here in the sedan, or maybe you've got something crazy for him.
2: You know, I, I read it as well, and it seems to uh, have an affinity towards uh, Jeeps um, mm-hmm. and wants to avoid the European maintenance. I would have gone GTI. I love GTIs, and I think that those have enough space. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 6'2 myself, and I've, I've owned a couple of them. Uh, you can definitely fit a, a kid seat in it, but mm-hmm. um, the fun factor comes from a manual in that. So that kind of led me down another path, and again, going back to the American – thought um you know the new uh, srt's that they're putting out have a lot more horsepower but they've been making srt models for some time mm-hmm. and yeah. what i thought is a car that i always lusted after was a dodge magnum srt uh wonderful
1: you've got Ooh. a kit
2: carrier 425 horsepower you can put exhaust uh chip it and do a lot of stuff. Uh, you're not going to get gas mileage out of that no. uh, if you go that way, but even so, um, if you got a newer iteration of uh, a charger, those V6s still put out 300 horsepower and get yeah. tinkered with as well. Yep. So, yep. Um, I, by my, I, I lent myself towards a larger American sedan and the CTS, I think what you're going to find is you're going to have you know higher service charges. Um, and with the with the charger you're gonna have more engine options um, and I really love the modern interfaces you know I spent a couple of years in a dodge truck um, you know driving around the country and oh right yeah pulling the
0: pulling the trailer it's yeah.
2: very functional so so I'm you know a big guy already says he, he would consider an American option is steering himself away from uh, European maintenance and park costs. I'd go with, with a Dodge Charger or if you really want a, a hot rod and you want to throw uh, mileage <laughs> out the window then, then go with an SRT option of, of one of those cars. You'd find a lot of them.
1: Yeah, the Magnum's a great one. We have a friend Alec who listens to the show yeah, right. Magnum forever. Yeah. And and the thing is those are a moment in time car. They just where where did that come from? Why did it get made? But it's very cool if you want to have one. Somebody lobbied it, for is, that car. And it is the mean angry wagon. You know, I mean, you could get the Cadillac CTS V wagon, but those are first off, they're almost three times this price, right? And secondly, they're needle in a haystack to find. Whereas
0: the Magnums are just out there. That's a great choice there. I, I like your your thoughtfulness there. I like the research there. That's that's well done.
2: I love station wagons, so I just I, I lean towards them all the time. But uh, you know, again, American, you get some American size, you get some raw horsepower, uh, but you throw gas mileage out. So I don't know. The,
1: does, this does this proves two things. One, Nick really is that guy people kept asking about cars. And
0: secondly, yeah. he could be a car journalist because we have an un- unnecessary <laughs> obsession with wagons. I don't know why that is, but there you go. Nick, you're in. So well done. That was excellent. Right. I, I love that you can you know throw power at that thing mm-hmm. and you know really customize it, make it yours. Yeah, the, the interface, you and I have talked about if that's something that bugs you, you can change that. Aftermarket stuff is great for that. But, this could work, but
1: FCA does. I mean, you know, from your eight-inch screen in your Jeep. I mean, FCA that, yeah. that whole system is a great system. You yeah, had weird is. issues with yours, but by and large, every car we're in, we're
0: just like this. Just works. Interesting. Along those same lines, I was looking at Chrysler three hundreds, okay. and I found a twenty fourteen the John Varvatos ed- edition that you know kind of spiced up. Gussied up, nice looking 300C. Is this like
1: the Gucci fi- Fiat 500? Is that what Gucci-fied it is? Gucci
0: or whatever. Awesome. John yeah. Barb. Yeah, there it yeah, is. Yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, 20 grand with 38,000 miles. Same kind of thing. I'm still thinking about that, that Magnum wagon. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But, Garrett, if you get away from that, there is a 2015 Infiniti Q50 Premium thirty nine thousand well miles for 20 K That was on my list. That was on my you may not have thought of this list. I mean That's well done. I've like moved away from the American cars, and I, I like that you're wanting that, but you know if you're just thinking, all right, you know reliability, long term, you know that kind of thing, this used to be the G, G37, so the Q50 from mm-hmm. 2015. Mm-hmm. and I'm also landing on a 2017 Mazda six. You and I have talked about this for a long time. It's bigger than you think. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, Accords and cameras have grown too, but the the 6 is bigger than you think. 20K it's, for a yeah. 2017 Mazda 6 Touring, 26,000 miles. I'm still weighing the, you know, I was looking at Lexus's Lexi. Lexi. Let's go with, I like Lexi. Let's go with that. Acura yeah. TLs. I'm just thinking, all right, that was the rhinoplasty era of the Acura TL that yeah. nobody really loved. Yeah. So I, I'm not suggesting that, but the Lexus. If you got a Lexus with Sport
1: Pack, you you wind up with rear wheel drive. You you may enjoy that car. You
0: could, but the F Sport was not available for 20 grand. You couldn't even touch one. So I'm thinking, okay, okay. I I had to leave it there. Okay.
1: Well, I I brought uh, I thought of one other one, and those of you who listen to the podcast more than five minutes will not be surprised when I bring this car up. But I I was a little disappointed. But I looked initially, and that is the Chevy SS.
0: Yeah, I was because wondering it's if the great bring alternative.
1: This up to the charger and I think look it let's be honest it looks more boring and it drives better so you have these <laughs> options the problem is 22 grand is about where those bottom out right now so mm. we're just above your budget so the question becomes, A, do you want to stretch even further, which I kind of doubt. But, that, but I want to let you know that those cars, are, they're almost in your reach. So depending upon when you're really shopping and what you really can do. Because I, I'm bringing this for this re- the reason, and I'm defending you, Paul, actually, because the Paul okay. limiter exists because you always blow people's budgets. I tend to but do that. Honestly, about half the time when you got – and we love these emails. We've got, we're making a list to do a podcast with a lot of here's what I bought stuff. But right, about right. half the time when people write back and go, here's what I got – almost half those emails halfway through go well I doubled my budget from what I told you guys and we're, we're like doubled
0: <laughs> doubled the budget doubled this it this
1: wasn't even like a few thousand dollars more yeah. you
0: know we, we just pushed on I know I little. told you guys 20 grand but I went out and bought a 55,000 we went wait exactly. what just happened there Which, oh, so you're throwing the Chevy SS in just in case Garrett has a, a wild hair in case, and decides in to case, double his
1: budget no and not because I think he's going to double his budget but because I'm saying the difference between 20 grand and 22 grand two grand is in car buying is not much and if you would rather have the more modern i'm putting it out there now going back to budget pontiac g8s all day long sure it is the older chevy ss the interior is not quite as nice it's not quite as modern obviously but it is the fantastic i mean look nick started us with the old american iron which i love that magnum yeah very so cool if we're choice. going to be in that world we're in a similar dates to that and you're buying a pontiac g8 those are gm parts under there it's got a decent interior. I prefer the SS, but it's more money.
0: But the G8s with 20 grand in your pocket, just go buy one. You know, Garrett, I was thinking with the G8 and with Nick's Magnum suggestion, you can rock your baby girl to sleep just with the power alone. You could sit at the stoplight and mm-hmm. gun the engine yeah, and it'll just, just put her right to sleep. Just, so just rock the body back and forth. Four in the Perfect. morning when you need to take her for a drive because she won't stop crying. You can just put her in the muscle car and you're good. <laughs>
2: I'm going to have to agree with you guys on the G8. Uh, My youngest brother has a a G8 that he has driven uh, for almost eight years now, Hmm. 75,000 miles.
0: No kidding. I've
2: driven it to San Francisco and back multiple times with him. Two big guys, plenty of space, interior materials, leave something to be desired, but he's never spent a dollar on maintenance. So uh, it's cool. I'd say that, that kind of falls into my uh, you know the I'm, you guys are speaking my language. Good. Uh, big American <laughs> fans are worthy of a chance. Uh, but you're not going to get the mileage. That's about
1: it. Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. There is you that. could go You could go the, v, the V6 and the G a get
0: a little bit better gas mileage, but at that point, you may as well just get the V8. <laughs> who are we kidding? Right. Who are we kidding? Come and on. throw performance parts at it, just because you can. I mean, well, if you you're going to go there, you just knows. Knows. But, throw but a chip I, to I think I think he's
1: throwing parts at that old Cherokee to go rock crawling again. That's, that's what true. That's where happening. his budget's going. I think it? that's where it's yeah. happening. But anyway, but I do also like the fact that your wife has a forerunner that apparently is her commute car. So you, you, these are truck people, but I'm glad. To get you in a big sedan, that could, that could be really fun. Hopefully, Garrett, something there has been helpful. Uh, I love that we had Nick come along and have the Magnum in there. That's cool. That no one doesn't get kidding. mentioned a lot, so that's really good. We are going to stop real quick for some commercials, and we will be right back. If you like Shaquille O'Neal, he has a podcast.
0: Check out the Big Podcast with Shaq every Monday right here at Podcast One. He's not just talking about sports. From wacky news stories to dumb entertainment rumors, Shaq is there making fun of it all. Check out The Big Podcast with Shaq at Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Please remember
1: to rate that podcast and this one.
0: I'm not going very far. It's too uncomfortable. I'm in a hurry. Sometimes I just forget. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. You're not only putting yourself at risk of injury or death, it could also cost you lots of money. Cops are writing tickets, so why take the risk? Do the smart thing and start buckling up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket, Paid for by NHTSA. You know what's a must-have in your car care arsenal? It's a Brush Hero. This is the water-powered detailing tool that's perfect for tough areas like wheel spokes and engines, tailpipes and grills, and even bicycles. Interestingly, Brush Hero requires no batteries or electricity. It scrubs slowly with an impressive amount of torque. This was created by Car Guys. It's designed to be tough, quick, and
1: effective without causing damage. It's easy to use. Just hook it up to a standard garden hose, flip the handy on-off switch, and start cleaning. Brush Hero is a great gift idea, and they've got an extensive line of gift sets
0: and accessories. And now, our listeners can enjoy 10% off their order at BrushHero.com with code DRIVER. You can also find the Brush Hero at select Costco and Walmart stores. But don't forget to use the code DRIVER at BrushHero.com for 10% off, and all orders over $40 ship free. Everybody's got a to-do
1: list. You drop off the dry cleaning, you pick up some milk. I've got an idea. Let's add Save Hundreds of
0: Dollars in Car Insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Having extra money in your pocket might be the most rewarding thing on your to-do list today. Guys, we're back with Nick Griot from Griot's Garage, and this is going to be all social media questions. And so Mm -hmm. many of you have asked him, what about, you know, what particular product and and." you know, what can I do for this area of my car? But there was a question from Wes on Facebook, and he asked, what differentiates the different consortiums of car care collections? He's asking you know, why would you go for Griots or Adams or Chemical Guys? Jay Leno has a car care collection now. It seems like everybody has, you know, they've sort of popped up. We're, I guess. we're almost
1: behind because we don't have a everyday driver car collection. For right. Car, car care We've collection. got Griots. Exactly. Because we're also that's like, how, thinking. I have no idea what I'm doing. The last thing yeah. you want to do is buy car care stuff from me. Now you maybe, Paul, but that's why you're talking <laughs> Griots. I see how I see where we
0: are. Well, the question is really for Nick. And I thought, Nick, you could touch on this and you can see he was just saying, you know, there's specialization, you know, the cost of products over a very products. And then when you're standing at a AutoZone or a Napa Auto Parts and you, you're looking at all this car care stuff, how do you know?
2: That is not a simple question, but uh, <laughs> we do, I, I have a very specific way I, I think I'd like to answer. It. And I think that, you know, in, in my mind, uh, what differentiates us is that, you know, we still are a manufacturer and um, there are a lot of companies uh, in our marketplace that um, have quality products, but they are not necessarily manufactured by that company so mm-hmm. uh, private labeling is 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 a very common practice and mostly because it takes a lot to remain compliant uh with chemicals and um, that that's a hard thing to keep up with In uh, california it's a it's a huge wonderful place with lots of cars and great weather and so it's a it's kind of considered the mecca of car culture for good reason. However, it has the strictest environmental standards that move Mm -hmm. very quickly. Sure. Um, And as such, a lot of people can't really keep up with with those um, standards. Um, So we, uh, you know, as a manufacturer, we develop every product we make in-house. We have a full uh, team of chemists, a laboratory, uh, manufacturing facility, bottling line, uh, we do that all in-house in our facility in Indianapolis. So what that allows us to do is uh, remain flexible with regards to environmental compliance. Um, um, you know, we can see things coming down the line and and be you know proactive with that. And really, what that just makes us do is be better with our chemistry. We have to you know create a product that is is superior to the one that preceded it and also environmentally compliant. And when you have a competitor that you know does not manufacture that same way. That's already handled for them. And what may happen mm-hmm. is, in that striving for compliance, that product may change drastically from year to year and maintain a few qualities. For example, smell or color, but its performance is totally changed.
0: Hmm. Um, oh, sure. They
2: didn't really invest in that chemistry. So that's a really important thing. And then I think the other thing is that I know everybody that makes our products. Uh, I know their names, their kids. Um, they've worked for our company for a long time, so it's in our building and I think that's still important that you know we uh, manufacture something that people enjoy and use in the united states and we We started that early on and i I would hate to imagine what it would cost us to start doing that now, but it's been a really important part of our company and again it's it's allowed us to continue to develop great products and just be uh, sure of everything that goes into our bottle. And then our customer is not going to come back and say, Hey, you know, this is all, you know, the same as this other bottle, but it streaks now. What'd you do? Mm, Right. Um, You don't have to answer those questions. So um, we have complete quality control. And uh, and again, we, we, we take pride in in having manufacturing jobs uh, in the States um, that again, we're making products for, for people that are just like us. That's cool. Um, and something, I think there's still something to be said about kind of controlling all that. Yeah, there is. Uh, I'll
1: give you a weird one that actually relates to my brain from what Nick's saying, and that is when I worked in the film industry, uh, one of the film labs is known as PhotoChem. They're like the independent Oh, film yeah. Lab, okay? you and mentioned I them to, a I ton. To to, I, used to to, I used to go to PhotoChem all the time. You knew everybody yeah, there, yeah, too. I worked there a lot. But, I mean, you've got Deluxe and a lot of the big film labs people have heard of. But while I was in L.A., and this is you know the early 2000s that I'm talking about here, a lot of those film labs were closing. Because of what Nick's talking about. Because the, the chemical requirements and the I deal with heavy-duty chemicals and how is California okay with that, all of those requirements were a constantly moving target. And some of those film labs were closing. And at the time, L.A. had a kibosh on anybody else opening a film lab. You couldn't get the permits to no actually kidding. deal in the chemicals. No So kidding. Photo Kim, who was the somewhat affordable indie guy, was like the last one in. And so that's why all the indie folks went to Photokim because all the big boys were out of their price, oh. and Photokim was like the last one to get the permits. And that was a family-owned company, and they could do it. So a lot of people started springing up as film labs, but they were film labs in the front store, if you will. But all their their printing was being done at Photokim. Of
0: course, they were using them anyway. Interesting. Well, that brings me to just, I guess, international shipping. And there was a question on Instagram from C. Garrett. He's, he's saying, you know, love GRIOS products. Is there anything in the works to expand the product line at AutoZone or other retailers? Anything, Nick, that you can share about, you know, your plans? Obviously, don't, you know, give away the plans. But, you know, any thoughts that you can share?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, um, AutoZone has been a, a great Part of our business, basically, you know, as our as our group has as our business has grown, um, so has our availability. So, AutoZone is is one of our major retail partners. Um, We have Advanced Auto Parts, Pet Boys, and O'Reilly's as well that also sell our products. And generally, we focus on the most highly consumable products in those spaces. And um, it's it's a very competitive marketplace. Again, we we believe we have great products, but there are also other very reputable. Uh, companies in that space, and so it that actually becomes a real estate game, which is interesting. That we <laughs> sure. Um, so, would we love to have every one of our products in there? Yes. However, it's a balance of again what what demand is there, uh, what space is there, um, and I think you know our goal is to always create a competitive product that outperforms something that may be on that shelf. And as such, uh, and again, because of our infrastructure that allows us to develop product we are constantly developing new products and i think that there's a lot of consumer confusion and to go back to to wes's question before it's you know what differentiates every particular product you know it's kind of like a half step of use well there are tons of different materials and scenarios that people encounter with their cars um you know vinyl is different from leather um yeah we are able to develop products that treat these different materials, uh, differently. Um, and so we're constantly developing new stuff and this, you know, we kind of launch our products with our handbook season where our handbook is what we call our catalog because we believe it has some instructional, um, Capacity as well as being a, a sales tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so this summer we have uh, a really exciting new line uh, that I want to encourage everybody to look for. I'm not going to spill the beans about it, but it's a great new uh, chemical set and uh, grouping of tools that will we think will really change the way people approach washing their car. Huh. Really, really fun system. Yeah, that's so that I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and you know we're we're about a month away from launching that line. And then another big thing is that our, um, you know, we focus a lot on on machines. And Paul, I don't know if you've ever used a random orbital to polish your car, but
0: I have. Even, I'll admit, I, I I bought the Griots. Of course, you have. The, the, it was actually the Porter Cable one from I don't know ten, twelve years ago. I yeah. I mean, I was invested early. Yes, you were.
2: Yeah, I probably packed that Porter Cable in our warehouse uh, back <laughs> when I was in high school. So. Oh my gosh. Um, very very good machines but we have you know we've developed our own tool and we've been selling that for over 12 years um and that whole kind of educational aspect where people are afraid of these machines like oh i'm going to do enormous amounts of damage well i've been using one since i was 14 years old again kind of my dad forcing me to to learn this skill set Um, (laughs) which is good i've never done any damage and so we focus a lot on educating people about that and as such we've expanded our, our tool line and so there's, I'll, without saying any more, there's some exciting new developments in our uh, power tool line as well that you can look for later this year. Cool. And ideally, uh, on the international point, uh, that that is just a matter of time. I think we we go to SEMA every year and uh, we have a ton of international demand. And I think that, you know, we are a family-owned company. Uh, we we continue to grow, but we have never, uh, you know, sought to. Put ourselves in a position of risk just for the sake of growth, Um, and we want to retain a high level of service and product quality. And so, I think that that will come in time. We have a a very long time horizon for the company, and we just want to be sure that everybody's experience with our company is the very best we can, uh, you know, promise. And if we overextended ourselves too quickly, I think we'd we'd see an equal and opposite retraction at some point in time. So we're going to get there. And you know we have a lot of people calling from all over the world saying, "I need your stuff," and they manage to get it somehow. I don't know how, but uh, <laughs> that's cool. They fly here, pack their suitcases. The yeah, I mean the internet's a wonderful tool. I don't know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's beyond me.
0: And and I ask on behalf of so many of our listeners are in Australia and Canada and mm-hmm. the UK, Ireland and. I mean, all over the world. And so I'm asking on behalf of them and and shout out to all you guys listening that are not in the U.S. Thank you so much. We we love hearing from you. We've had people write to us from Poland and Sweden and Pakistan and everywhere. It's so many. We've we've done debates and we'll continue to. But yeah, like I said, Nick, I just kind of ask on behalf of them hearing this podcast thinking, all right you know, it's not on my local shelf, you know, at my favorite Mm -hmm. store. So how can I do that? But apparently, the internet is the answer.
2: (laughs) That's that's both the best and worst of every answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I absolutely love to travel. I would love to be traveling all over the world on sales trips. It'd be a great, you know, I'm sure my wife would enjoy that as well. (laughs) So uh, we will get there, I promise you. I I really, really uh, am looking forward to that. But uh, in the meantime, again, we'll We'll get there eventually, and it's not too far off.
1: All right, good. So, did you see Dale's question? Our friend Dale. I wrote did. To us I was wondering yesterday.
0: if we should end on that question just because. Okay, of, we can come back around. We can come back around because he's in Tacoma. I'm fine with that. Yes. And, with that. and this is the question. We'll tee you up for that. Go ahead and read this well, question. Well, yeah, the
1: question is what F1 team would you race for? And I'm sitting here thinking about it and I'm having trouble. I, I have to come back. Well, to that. I
0: liked it because Nick's dad was, you know, a yeah. mechanic and he's got F1 cars, vintage F1 cars sitting in the shop that I'm just going crazy about. And so, all right, so think about that. Uh, for see, the for the wrap-up question you there. You see Shane's question?
1: I had to laugh at Shane's question. Shane wrote in on Instagram, and he said, what are the best products and strategies for really tough messes that come with kids in the car? Oh, yeah. And he's specifically <laughs> asking about melted crayons in a cup holder. And Shane, look, I, I obviously am not the talented guy in this regard, but I'm going to say that car never recovers. That car probably just has to be burned From at some point. Melted it's just, crayons? Yeah, just all, all of the stuff that kids bring— some of that will never get out. I will I will give you my answer, Shane. My answer is you pay somebody to detail that car and you don't worry about it yourself because you're 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 just that's never gonna be solved. I realize there's probably a better answer, but Shane, I feel like you and I are, are similar and so there's a part of it that just goes, Yep, that's never coming out
2: <laughs> That reminds me of a car I detailed in high school. My buddy and I called it the Cheerio van. Uh, oh, Self explanatory yeah, we probably pulled out two boxes. I'm not kidding. It was a minivan, and every one of those channels was filled to the brim with Cheerios and everything else you can imagine. So of
1: course it was. I still
2: remember the exact place. I detailed it as well.
1: Oh, my uh, gosh. No but, way. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I mean, you've got to introduce heat back to those crayons, unfortunately. I'll go so <laughs> further. To get into an interior material. But, yeah, and, and if you if you have something that can break down wax like that, it's most likely a solvent, which would damage your interior materials. But the best best product i could recommend from our product line would be our citrus multi-purpose cleaner. uh <laughs> it is insanely versatile. uh it's, you know, an aerosol delivery and i pulled 55 year tobacco tar off of the interior trim of my Lincoln Continental project with good these. grief. so it's got some capacity and it's uh safe on painted surfaces as well. so That'd
1: be where I steer you. See, Shane, I was just th- thinking you had to give the car a Viking burial, and Nick comes out here with
0: an actual answer. Look at that. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. Plus, it sounds like it'll make it smell good, too. I guess. Like, it's not going to uh, smell no, like cranes. Nice. yeah. <laughs> okay, so a question about covering cars from Daddy's there, Fast there Cars. There are a few, actually. There's a yeah. few, as a matter of fact. So this is, you know... Daddy's Fast Carls, he's asking, is it wrong to cover my WRX while I park it at work because of the dust and the hate? He he hates that it gets dirty after a day of sitting in the parking lot, essentially. And he'd like to keep it as clean as possible, but he thinks he would be judged if he covers it. And you probably will get noticed, you know, if you're the only car in the parking lot and you car is covered. Like I like to say, you'll be that guy. It's like the guy that always
1: covers his car when he comes to work. But you know what, man? It, it, It comes back to the thing that you always say, Paul, about you're trying to save yourself work. If, it's if, along those lines if it's yeah. going to hassle you that far now now the, here's the car cover conundrum and Covercraft has been great to us and they're a sponsor with us for season 3 as well so we're excited about them and uh, we've also got Sean in here asking about parking his car outside underneath a tree that gives a lot of pollen same thing, car cover for you my friend so Covercraft is great for you there but but here's the thing. There are, there are the camp that says never put a car cover on your car because you'll screw up the paint. And then there is the camp that I'm in, which is I have a park a car outside, and guess what? It's dirty, and it's been five minutes. Luckily, lot right. of these car covers now fit well enough. They don't move much.
0: And I so tell it's you, not like that you know, sandpaper action in between the cover and the paint. Yeah. What's been your experience with that, Nick?
2: Well, if you're if you're definitely getting a cover that is fit to your particular car, I think the notion that you're going to have a, a really you know, a lot of motion that would create that damage is uh, only a reality if the car is significantly dirty. Technically, every time you touch the surface of your car, and this is going to give some people hives, (laughs) you are abrading the paint and you are, you know, doing minor amounts of damage or scratching the car. It's when those scratches become exceptionally concentrated that you start to notice a visual difference in, in the quality of your finish. So, um, I have no problem being the guy that covers my car. Uh, that is the nature of my job. But at <laughs> the same time, the people that are giving you grief for covering your car are never going to understand why you cover it to begin with. Fair. And everybody who Fair. understands why you cover it is probably your friend. So uh, That's good. I'm totally fine covering your car everywhere you go. But if you have any doubt about how clean your car is, like if, if, if you've got a lot of dust or a lot of pollen, I would generally suggest cleaning the car before covering it. Just because. Well, I agree with that. Yes, definitely. A, a cover generally has some weight to it, and you've got to stretch it out over the car. And if you have something really heavy and nasty, like a, a piece of a branch that has fallen off, and all of a sudden you push that into your trunk, <laughs> yikes! <laughs> then you're gonna you're gonna wish you never covered your car. But you know, if you've spent all weekend cleaning the car, you drive it to work, and you've got a tiny little bit of dust, throw your cover on it. Um, you know, but if, if you have any doubt, always introduce a liquid, probably a detailer of some sort, to do some light cleaning. Um, that liquid is just going to ensure that you create a medium so that you don't press those uh, contaminants, dust, pollen, into your paint and, and avoid doing damage before you cover it. But a cover is always good, and you avoid UV damage if you're in a high, uh, high sunlight area, um, which will degrade your interior over time. So.
1: Nick, Nick just accidentally proved I'm not a complete idiot. This is what I like about this <laughs> conversation because this is, this is how I treated my Mini all winter. Now, my Mini is the cheap $5,000 winter beater, but it parks outside. Yeah. And so when I had it yeah. clean, and clean or a little bit of dirt, I would keep putting the cover on it. When it's harder to get, like, salty, I wouldn't put the cover on again until I got it cleaned. So right. I actually looked like I kind of knew what I was doing there, which is a nice, happy accident. Mm-hmm. Then there's a new twist. I haven't told you this twist. Oh, but no. This spring... We have had like gale force winds. Yeah, we have. It's been nuts. Now, I, I, I park the mini. Sometimes I park it off my driveway in the grass. Okay, right. Cause I get it out of the way because I'm pulling out the Lotus. That's why it's happening. Right. The Lotus so we've been stands. having we've been having crazy, crazy winds. That have actually been big enough, because the, the cover on the Mini fits really well, but to actually start moving that cover around and pick it up. And I was like, okay, I, I don't want to chase the cover into my neighbor's yard. I mean, I'm talking like 30 mile an hour, is the house going to fall over wind? It's been nuts. <laughs> I didn't know nuts. you took up
0: parachuting and it's been really sailing in your driveway. I
1: had, I had an epiphany. Okay. I went and got t- tent stakes, and I put it in the eyes of the thing, and I tent staked it to the grass, Dude, and it's been really? awesome. It's been great. You tent Problem staked solved. your car to the ground. Problem solved. I'm not recommending you do that at work, by the way, but <laughs> I'm just saying you really want to get nuts. That's what you're tent staking your, your cover down. Of course, it's 30-mile-an-hour winds. So had to do something.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Nick, what's your take on the California car duster thing before you put the cover on, good or bad?
2: Um, again, I think that is – depending on how well-developed your eye is.
0: <laughs> oh, fantastic, Kevin. Delicate. Delicate. Nice.
2: Depending, so depending on the color of your car. Now, again, as, as I mentioned before, every time you touch your paint that, and it's not perfectly clean, you are technically abrading it. So you are causing micro-scratches. Now, a duster, effective tool. I was using one at a, at a photo shoot uh, just this past week, for, you know, when you don't really have time to go over the entire car and wipe it down. But introducing a liquid is always a safer safer way to go. Um, okay. Just because, again, you're you're creating a medium uh, between your paint and whatever contaminant is on top of it as opposed to dragging uh, it across the paint with a duster. However, there are techniques to using the duster that can make it safer. But, um, again, this is, this is really just with experience, you'll learn, is this too dirty to use a duster? Or is this wide enough dust that a duster really, you know, poses no harm? And yeah. um, again, this is all, it's all relative. And I, I understand that I'm kind of speaking in generalities. But really, if you've got a silver car that's getting dusty, and you know, you can use a a duster on that, and you'll never notice. If it's a black car, and you you mm. want to go mm. to town on that duster, after <laughs> how good is your driven eye? through a dirt parking lot, I I can't say that that's the right thing to do. So, <laughs> uh, it, it, there there are a ton of different scenarios, but in general, they've been used forever. They're very effective at lifting lifting dust, but if you do it on too dirty of a car, you're probably doing more harm than good.
1: I, I want to I want to actually defend all of you listening right now that are more in my camp than Paul's, <laughs> and I want to just say to all of you, keep driving your car. I'm just going to say yes, okay. You know how you know how you know how. It's not that we're
0: not over no, I, here. I'm just, no, what I'm just
1: I'm just saying the the thought of you're always damaging your car is. I'm going to give you a frame of reference. It's the same thing as you're always damaging your kids. No matter how good a parent you think you're being, you're screwing them up in your own special way. Okay, my son will be in therapy in his 30s. I'm I'm sure for something I can't even imagine i, I don't even realize i'm doing wrong <laughs> this is this is the, what car paint ownership is like too it's just like you're doing something to it let's just drive the car and be honest but thank god <laughs> that you've taught me a little bit to keep these cars a little nicer than i would on my own but
0: you're on the right track it sounds like which i'm happy yeah, nick's validated I, your, I, your actions I, here i'm not a complete idiot that's good news <laughs> okay so last question before we get to the formula one question and that is ben c's question he's asking about our thoughts on the nano coating thing He's saying, you know, it's really expensive. Does it live up to the hype? And Nick, you probably know the most of anybody. These three people on the on the call here. On the I don't bo- even know bo- what podcast, that means,
1: by the way. Yeah,
0: the, the specialized nano coating. I mean, I've heard of it. You know, done on the paint, and then you can paint protection film over that, or you do the paint protection film and then the nano coating.
2: So basically, just just in layman's terms, uh, the nano coating is a, a silica based, uh, essentially sacrificial clear coat. Um, hmm. And it's, it's a very popular technology. Uh, basically, uh, a couple people have figured out how to, how to make it very effectively. Um, and there is plenty of applications where it's awesome. You know, it it's very, very, uh, it has a, a measurable thickness to it. So again, it becomes a sacrificial clear coat of sorts. Hmm. Um, it beads water really well. It makes your kind of routine maintenance of washing your car very easy. You know, it, some of, Some of the manufacturers promise a warranty. Uh, There are differing levels of hardness. Again, the idea is to protect uh, the paint that is on your car by adding a sacrificial uh, layer to it that, again, improves some maintenance. Uh, But at the end of the day, its main effect is UV protection. Hmm. Um, So if all the other facets of it, the water beading, those type of things start to fade, the UV protection almost remains inevitably we we've explored that opportunity quite a bit however you know going back to us being the manufacturer it's a very specialized manufacturing process and quite frankly for us it doesn't necessarily align with our customer who is someone who loves to go out and clean their car Mm. and polish it and wax it Um, so it kind of advertises you know for two years you don't have to go touch your car other than wash it every once in a while and washing it becomes faster and easier Great. There are people that love that. Um, that. You know, the people that we relate to, uh, that are enthusiasts, that again need to have the level of detail to know, um, you know, that, that what kind of damage they're doing to their car, how safe to be with their car. They're not necessarily lining up to do nano coating. The other thing is that be- it's it's so expensive because if you were to put a two year fix on your car and the paint were not flawless beneath it. You're essentially just sealing a inferior finish under something you can't really uh, adjust for two years.
0: So mm, interesting point. So it has to be from new, from when the car is brand new, right?
2: So, so even you know, uh, you know, a brand new car is still going to have you know the option of dealer uh, installed scratches. So, <laughs> yes. Yes. A, dealer true. installed scratches. Yeah, I love that.
1: Free to you. Free to you. By the way.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, don't don't ever have them wash your car if you're taking delivery of a new car, just do it yourself, trust me.
0: I'm wondering um, if you can dip your kids in the nano coating cuz I was hearing like milk runoff, the the orange juice wash. just beads right up. You can hose your kids off. The, the amount of terrible parenting advice in this one <laughs> podcast alone is near staggering. Can you yes. dip your kids in this stuff? Hey, I did my car, my kids, my house. The driveway's <laughs> fine. Look at the water runoff.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody that will tell you you can do that, but uh <laughs> You know, it 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 is a really awesome technology, and what I appreciate is that it's pushing the boundary of of coatings and surface care. Uh, I, I really do, you know, love that aspect of it. But for us, again, we I think for most people, it's a it's a one time fix. And you know, if you've got a brand new Ferrari and you've got twenty five hundred dollars to spend on a detailer that is going to you know, massage your paint to perfection and apply this thing, great, go for it. It's not necessarily the solution for the guy that has a free Sunday and wants to make his car look as good as possible.
0: Right, right. That's great, that's great. Okay, the Formula One question. This was from Dale. He was wondering, which Formula One team would we all drive for? Which which would you drive for? What do you think? I, I actually just watched the Spanish Grand Prix over the weekend, and Lewis won. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the world came back to normal. He, <laughs> he set the pole position. Yeah. He, he won the race. Fiestas anyway. aren't
1: 7,500 and Lewis Hamilton won F1. If that's you'd good. like to
0: debate we're, we're me yeah. about the Formula One drivers, you know, the Vettel fans versus the, the Hamilton fans, you know, then the world explodes. So, yeah. yes, I get that. But, you know, I'm, I'm for me, I, I can happily take up the last place. I know that I can come in last in a race. I, <laughs> I know that I can we do that. We are capable of that. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody that would take me, really.
1: Uh, you know, th- the, yeah, well, that's the truth of it. I mean, but let's be honest. I have to, I have to say Lotus but I have to stay Lotus during the John Player Special era. Those oh. are just such good. cool
0: cars. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, man. I, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking anybody that would, would take me, but honestly, I'm not thinking of the front runners necessarily because there's so much pressure. Not that there's not with the midfield, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm loving the mid-pack runners. I like Renault. I like Force India. I like Williams. I love the Alpha's back. Yes, it's just I cool like that's the that, team. It's just
1: cool to see that brand in back in F1. Yeah, the
0: that's cars cool look great. Yeah, yeah I, like I said, I could be last in any race. I know I can at least do that. Maybe I'll crash, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I left the pit late. Oh, look, I'm actually going around done. the track. Oh, look, they're all passing me. Man, this is fun. Bucket yeah. list checked. <laughs> we're good. Nick, what about you?
2: So uh, it's I've got two answers. Uh, if, I were, if I were driving... Yesterday in the Spanish Grand Prix, I, I want to be in a Ferrari. I, I love uh, I love the team right now. I, I also love watching the Haas team. I like that they're an American team, and then mm-hmm. they're kind of coming up, and they're improving. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Grosjean can't keep the car on the track, and is having some bad luck. But, <laughs> I noticed uh, that. They've been competitive. You know, more than anything, I just like that I've been watching these races, and they're competitive and interesting, and uh it's exciting again I, I mean getting past the the halo and and maybe the car not being as aesthetically pleasing as some of the older ones uh i love watching interesting formula one racing i cannot wait for monaco in two weeks it's my favorite race oh um,
0: yeah
2: I, I mean it's a lot of people's favorite race but uh you know and then it's followed by the indy 500 so in our mm. family it's a big deal that day is awesome but if i were racing in the past it would uh it would have to be any of the Marble McLaren's. I love the M twenty threes, you know, mm-hmm. the James Hunt. Yeah. Uh, good one. Moss. I've met, I've been fortunate enough to meet Jochen Moss twice. Have uh, you really? He, he's been at, he's met he, I he was at Amelia Island last year. I, I actually um, I met him one other time when we actually took his car to uh the a race in Monaco and uh, you know, everybody can come in last, right? But you still have to finish and you can't hit a wall. This is true. And Joachim Moss came up and said, Hey, you didn't wreck my car. That's great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like,
2: you know, 40 years later, he's day. still looking after his car. Uh, and it was still running around. So I loved the, I just loved the Volcano Red and, and Marble and McLarens. Um, and they were competitive for a really long time. So uh, and it has to be, it has to be a, a, a Cosworth V8, just a big screamer. That's cool. Um, Love that's, it. That, that's what I like. I like the old school stuff. Nice. The most. And of course, Senna. You know, Senna was in those cars. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Ricciardo was in those cars. Mm-hmm. That I, that would be the team, I think, historically. Yeah, that's
0: mad. Like Didn't I just one. see Bernie just bought Senna's '88 or '89 F1 car, the white and red Marlboro car? Didn't he just buy that at auction? I thought I saw an article. Somebody on that. just did for big money. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yikes. All right. Well, Nick, thank you so much for uh, being on with us and providing the education and, and insight. And yeah, I, my brain's almost scrambled. But I, 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 I
2: love, love this stuff. stuff for sure. I yeah. love it.
0: I love learning about this stuff. And I
2: hope I didn't scare anybody. But you know, again, <laughs> I I'm pretty far off the deep end of the car detailing. And uh, anytime you guys have questions, you can bounce them off me. I'd love to love to come back and and help more people feel more confident about doing that, even though I, I hope I didn't scare anybody away from it. So. Well,
1: but, but but you have the spectrum in Paul and I, so we're, we're trying to walk carefully with everybody. But thank you guys for being a supporter of what we do. We love supporting you guys as well because we do genuinely use your stuff. Absolutely. So that's yeah. been great.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's griosgarage.com. And if you've got your own debate, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com, or you can find us on the website, everydaydriver.com. You can find all the details about the upcoming pilgrimage trip for 2018 and for all the uh, the upcoming TV season that's coming at you, season three. We've got two more first, episodes to shoot here. Yeah, and
1: first week of July is the first episode on Velocity,
0: so that's right. what I'm doing when I'm not shooting. I'm editing. Yeah. yeah, it's coming at us. Guys, thank you again so much. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.
1: ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection. A new smart home at your service, customized for your lifestyle. Set up custom automations unique to your home to automatically do the things like lock the doors or set the thermostat when you leave. Even close your garage door from virtually anywhere.